morning, everybody. It's really good to see you all. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington. Welcome. It's really good to see you all this morning. I'm so glad you're here to worship God with us this morning. I've got a couple of announcements for you. First of all, if you are new and visiting, if you're just visiting a friend or if you're checking out the church potentially to join, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to get more connected to the church or just have some questions that you want to ask, please be sure to swing by the hospitality desk on your way out. You can talk to Seamus. You can also grab me. Um, I would love to get to meet you and answer any questions that you might have. This Sunday is a little bit unique for a couple of reasons that I'm going to talk about. One is that right after the service, we are actually going to have a member gathering. And so that's going to come in two parts. First, we're going to do like a little bit of information here in the sanctuary. And then after that, we're going to do a little bit of fellowship and light refreshments. And that'll be down in the fellowship hall or outside, wherever you want to be. Um, we'll be doing that. And so that's open to everybody. You don't have to be a member to come to that. But you also don't feel like obligated to stay. If you just wanted to come to church and then leave, you can do that. No, no harm, no foul. But yeah, you can swing by the hospitality desk on your way out if you want to get connected. We would still love to do that for you. Um, and so there will be about a five-minute break after service ends, and there will be childcare downstairs. You will have to recheck in your kids for kids three and up. And then for the littler ones, if you want to, you can keep them in here, or if they need to roam, you can also go down to the mom's room, the nursery, and watch the member gathering there as well. Up to you. Um, and then... The second thing is, this is the first Sunday that we're doing one service for the first time in a couple years. We've done it occasionally, but we are moving to that permanently. And so our new service time is now here at 10 a.m., and we're going to continue to do that. Um, and so it's really a pleasure to be here and to just see all of your faces at the same time. It's a joy. Um, and so thank you guys for being here and for doing that. And I realize that's a change. And so like, it's obviously a lot more full in here than you're used to. And so an open seat has now shifted from like a whole pew to like half a pew. <laughs> and so just keep that in mind. Um, if, there's, if there's a potential for you to scoot a little closer to open up another seat, you can think about it that way as well. But welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And then finally, the last thing is we um, need help on the worship team specifically with bass and keys. And so if you play bass or keys, I am telling you to go and talk to Johnny. It's not an option. <laughs> and if I find out that you play bass or keys, I will hunt you and make you talk to Johnny. Um, all joking aside, it's really a great way to just serve the church, and it will bless you to be a part of that team and to just um, lead the church in worship in that way. So please make sure to see Johnny for that. All right, that's all the announcements I have. So we're going to move into starting a new series. It's a lot of beginnings today. Um, beginning of one service, but we're also beginning to um, dive into the book of Hebrews, and we are going to be in the book of Hebrews for the rest of the year, so it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to take our time through it. We're going to chew on it, and we're going to do that for a couple of reasons. One is because Hebrews is unique in the New Testament um, in a lot of different ways, but it's unique in its sophistication. It is very sophisticated in terms of a piece of literature. It is written with craft and skill and a high degree of um, intention. And all of, the, 
all of the, Bible, the books of the Bible are written in that way, but some are very simple. They're intentionally written in a very simple style. Hebrews is different because it's elaborate. And because part of what the author is trying to do is move his audience into maturity. He's trying to press them deeper into Christ. And so he's challenging them. He actually calls his letter that he's writing a word of exhortation. So it has a point. Its purpose is to exhort, is to challenge, is to press into his audience all of the things that he communicates to them. And so um, that's why it's so elaborate, is because that's how he's doing that. And that's an invitation to us to also do that, to receive all that we can from it as a letter. It is written to um, an early Christian church that's mostly made up of Jews who are now trusting in Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He, they have confessed him as the Messiah. And so that's mostly it. It's not just Jews, though, because the gospel had started to go to the Greeks and to the Gentiles as well. And so there's a mix of heavily Jewish language and culture that's infused throughout Hebrews and of Hellenistic influence that was just kind of in the air that all of these synagogues were breathing because these synagogues were positioned in the Roman Empire and Greek culture was a huge part of that. And so he is trying to get these Hebrew Christians, these, these young Christians, he's trying to get them to finish the race. He's trying to get them home. And so a theme of Hebrews is it feels like this epic journey. Even at the very beginning, long ago, and at many times, in many ways, it sounds like an introduction to an epic journey. And that's because, isn't that how the Christian life is? Don't you guys feel that way? You're on a journey. You're going somewhere. There's momentum to your life. Even if you don't associate it with a faith or you don't identify as being on a faith journey, there still is a trajectory to your life that you feel and that you actually move towards with intention. And so the Christian life is no different. In fact, it's the fulfillment of that longing, of that feeling. It's identifying this life as a journey that has a destination. And so the author wants them to continue to keep going and he has very intimate knowledge of them. He's basically their pastor. He speaks as a person with deep insight into their personal struggles. And there are many. Being a Christian in an empire that liked conformity was not easy. There was pressure. The Roman Empire would put pressure on whatever they could to try and maintain status quo, the Pax Romana. They wanted everything to kind of maintain so that they could be in control. And so Christianity put pressure on that because it was new and it was powerful and it changed everything. And so one of the ways that the Roman Empire started to do this was through the synagogues. They're like, hey, let's just have them be Jewish again. Let's have them walk away from Jesus as Messiah and just go back to the temple system. We understood that. 
that fit within our concept of what was going on. It was controllable. And so there's immense pressure socially, financially, politically on these early Christians to let go of the teaching that they had heard, of their faith, about who Jesus was. And that pressure is not unique to them. The, the author of Hebrews addresses it in unique ways to them, but it's actually a universal pressure. It's something that's fundamental to the Christian life. When you believe in Jesus, you are passing from something old into something new. You have a new life, a new identity, a new Lord, a new Savior. And it's hard to not go back. It's hard to keep going on. It's hard to keep moving forward. Because there's a ton of pressure on us to let go. Like Maybe life would just be a little bit easier if we didn't have to be so different. If I didn't have to talk to my coworker about that really awkward thing that I believe, it would be so much easier. And it would, in some ways. And so we are going to start with um, four verses that we could spend easily two months on um, because they are packed. And it's really introducing kind of like the theme. It's setting the tone for the whole book. And it's not so much making an argument as it is like communicating an essence or a feeling that's going to continue to kind of get recycled throughout the entire book. So we're opening up in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom... Also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we are tired. We're beat up. This world afflicts us. Things happen that we don't know how to understand. And it puts pressure on us. It puts pressure to let go of hope, to let go of faith, to find control to find something that we can control and protect. And so, Lord, I ask that this morning you would help remind us of who you are, of what you have done for us, and of how much better your plan is, your revelation, your will, than ours. And God, I ask that you would use that vision, that that glory, that revealed perfection, to give us strength, to give us energy, to continue on, to go together into the future that you have for us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do this by your Spirit and through the beautiful name of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning, we're going to look at um, something that is really important to understand, to understand the rest of Hebrews, and that is only Jesus brings us home. Only Jesus brings us home. Um, and we're going to look at a few different ways that um, who Jesus is and what he does help us to understand how he brings us home, how he satisfies our souls, how he gives us rest, how he completes the work that he has started in us. And um, it's something you may have heard before. In fact, if you were part of the Portico U class that went through the Apostles' Creed, I want to give you a pop quiz right now, but I'm not going to. But I want to. Because we're talking about the threefold office of Christ. And his threefold office is prophet, priest, and king. Very good. Some people knew. Um, So Jesus as prophet points you home. Jesus as priest carries you home. And Jesus as king is your home. So let's look first at Jesus as prophet and how that points us home. So this starts out with this beautiful and ridiculous assertion that long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So that is absurd. It's absurd that God would speak, that he would look down on his creation as creator, as, as, God, as God, he needs nothing. It doesn't add anything to him, to his existence, to speak to us. It adds nothing to him. There is no benefit to him to speak to us. And that's true even before sin, let alone after sin, after his own creation rebelled against him, rejected him. And so we have to understand first that God's speaking is a miracle of miracles. And so this isn't in any way diminishing the fact that God spoke to the people of old, the the ancestors of the Jews through the prophets. No. It's saying that that is astounding. But there was an intermediary. It wasn't full. It was through the prophets that he was speaking. The Old Testament prophets were the mouthpieces of God. They were men who were hearing from God and speaking on God's behalf to the people. And their message was very clear, that God is righteous and holy and good, and that he is faithful, and that his people have universally rejected him, have broken his covenant, and are unfaithful. But God is making a way for them. So turn from your sins, Israel, and trust in the Lord. Wait for his Messiah. Wait for the anointed one who would deliver you. And that's the message that the prophets universally proclaimed throughout all of Scripture, that God has not abandoned you. He longs for you. Repent. Turn away from your wickedness. Trust him. So that's how he spoke, and he did that in many ways. One of the most common ways was through the angels. Angels is, trans, is a transliteration of a word that just means messenger. So angels are angelic beings. They're in the heavenly realm, in the throne room, 
And they hear from God directly. They are in God's presence, in his glory. And then they come into the earthly realm and they bring a message from God. And you can see kind of the dynamics of what an angel is by how people respond to them. When an angel shows up, people almost all the time fall down in fear. And it's because they are, they are glorious. They are reflecting the glory of God in a bigger way than people do. And so they are actually kind of like ordered above people in the hierarchy of the cosmos. And so for the prophets to be receiving messages from angels was no small thing. It was actually a really big thing. It was really important. It was really glorious. But the author of Hebrews says that there's something more glorious that's happened. In these last days, and these last days are, are everything from the appearance of Jesus as an incarnate person all the way to his return. So we are in the last days too. He still speaks to us this way. He's spoken to us by his son. So Jesus fulfills the prophetic role. He is the eternal prophet. He is the last prophet. He is ultimately the only prophet because even the prophets in the Old Testament were foreshadowing him. They were pointing to him. And so Jesus is the prophet of prophets. He's the fulfillment of that message. And so here's something that we need to sink in to kind of help us on our journey. Because Hebrews is supposed to be very practical. All of this is kind of theological. But now let's get practical. If that is true, if God now speaks to us by his son, who's so much better than the angels, how much should we value that? How much should that motivate us to keep going, to persevere, to seek him, to press into him, to not neglect what's been revealed? We'll get there. He's going to develop all of those themes. Because what we see is like Jesus is the word that God speaks. So God's speaking to us. He's him stooping down and speaking to his broken creation. And what he speaks is Jesus. It's who he is. He is the word, the eternal word of God. So he is the message. And here's something that we have to, um, we just have to consider and think about. Because I think one of the things that distracts us, that kind of pulls us away from walking faithful, faithfully, from persevering in the, in the way of the faith, is that sometimes we want to worship the experience of receiving a message more than the message itself. Here's what I mean by that. If you spend more time, get more excited by, have more of a desire for a personal word of God, personal instruction on something to do, something that's very individual to you, if you have more of a desire for that and the experience, the excitement that you get from that, I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing. 
But if you have more of a desire for that than you do to press into the revealed will and word of God in his son, then you're being pulled off. You're being pulled back into wanting to receive from an angel. God has spoken, and he's spoken in his son. It's recorded in his word. And yes, he will speak to you in the word, by the spirit, and that will be personal to you, but it's not new. It is God applying his son to your life in real time. So don't worship that experience, worship him. And here's what that will look like functionally. It'll look like someone who anticipates and longs for that experience when they don't get it, but they're content to wait in an ordinary life where they just wake up and go to work and pray and long for that experience again, rather than becoming devastated, becoming shipwrecked, letting go of your faith because you think that God is no longer working because he's not speaking to you in that way. So Jesus is the word that he speaks, and he may speak to you through his word and by the Spirit, but he has spoken in the life, death, and resurrection, and that's primary. So we have all that we need in him. We have all that we need in his life. He is pointing you in the direction that you are to go. And so when we look for power and sustenance anywhere else, we deny these other things about what Hebrews says about Jesus, about the Son. That his word has power to create his word has power to sustain. It is by the Son that the, everything was created that was created. Not only that, he's not only the creator, but he's the sustainer. The word of his power upholds the universe. He has all the power you need. You don't need a new word. You need him. The word of the Son doesn't just point you home, though. Because the message of God in the word is Jesus, and the message brings you home. And this gets into the priestly work. Jesus as priest brings you home. And this is really clear in the original text. He's designing this, all of these things that he's saying about Jesus. He's the heir of all things. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's become much superior. All of these things are organized in the original text to have at their very center, at the point that he has made purification for sins and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That gets obscured a little bit in, your, in the English translation. But the important thing is, is that Jesus making purification for your sins is at the center of the word that he speaks to you. It's at the very center of the word. Isn't that amazing? With all the other things that this, um, these four verses say about who Jesus is, about who the Son is, the most important thing, the center of it, is his making purific 
purification for your sins. And again, this is hearkening back to the language of the temple, of temple worship, of the priestly order who would make sacrifices for the sins of Israel every year. And they would do this ritualistically by offering goats. And the blood of goats and the blood of bulls would be the things that they were hoping in that God will have mercy, he will pardon. And it was actually the mechanism that God was using to maintain connection to a sinful people. It was their provision for being sinful. And so what the author is saying by putting this in the central place is that Jesus makes purification. That it's not the blood of bulls or goats that you are cleansed by, but by his blood. He, as the priest, is also the sacrifice. He makes purification for your sins. This is dealing with a fundamental problem of human existence, and that is our separation, our alienation from God. Sin has alienated us. It is what has basically made us exiles, made us homeless, if you will. And that you see this, Adam and Eve. <laughs> you see it with Israel. They get thrown out of the land. They are exiles. When sin pollutes and brings guilt, you cannot be in the presence of a holy God. You can't be at home with God. You can't be reconciled to God as a sinner. And so this is creating all of the problems that um, we face in this world are a result of this alienation, of a result of being not at home with God. That's where we were created to be. We were created to be, actually, we were created to be priests leading all of creation in worship in God's temple, in his home. That was what the Garden of Eden was. And so our sin making us homeless is a massive issue that was unresolved. And even though there was illusion and kind of um, foreshadowing of it through the Old, Tem Old Testament temple sacrificial system, it was still extremely broken. It wasn't final. It was still pointing forward to something. And so Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished bull without sin, when he lays down his life, when he washes us in his blood, he reconciles us to God. He brings us home. He brings peace to our relationship with God. That, mean, that means that in your guilt, in your stain, in your pollution, you can say, you can believe, you can trust, he forgave you. All your guilt is gone. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. He forgave you. All your guilt is gone. When you're tired, when you don't know if you can keep going, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're homeless, when you're in transition, when you're sick, when you're grieving, he forgave you. All your guilt is gone. He's brought you home. That is the central message that Jesus speaks to you. 
It's like God, the message, the one message, the most important thing he wants you to know, he forgave you. All your guilt is gone. His work as our priest, it is the central message. But it's not the final word. It's not the end. He doesn't just forgive you, but he also becomes your home. He doesn't just bring you home, he becomes your home. And in this we see Jesus' work as king. The language of Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is borrowed primarily from Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And it's talking about a king, an exalted king who has inherited the nations, who has been made to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so you see this kingly language now applied to the Son. Jesus is this king. He's this Davidic figure who is resting in sovereignty over all of creation and who's an heir. He's inherited this. So here's a couple of things that's really interesting. The Son is eternal. There's no question about that. Hebrews does not leave the option for Jesus to not be divine open. You have to throw out Hebrews in order to think that Jesus wasn't God because he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And he's also eternal. It's him who began creation and it's him who sustains and ends creation. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He also inherits a name that's much higher than the name of the angels. What name is that? They would be thinking Lord, which was the Greek way of translating the divine name, Yahweh. That's his name. So what does it mean for Jesus to have inherited those things, to add them? The fact that it says he has become much superior to the angels as his name is, is really weird language to say about God, who was already superior about angels, or superior than angels. That was never in question for him. But as priest, he took on human nature. He took on human flesh. And he sanctified human flesh. And he brought, as the second Adam, he brought human flesh into the dignity that is above the angels. What does that mean for us? Well, as hard as it is for us to believe that we're forgiven and that our guilt is gone, it's even more hard. It's even harder, I guess, to believe and to remember and to think, he's not only done that, he's made you a co-heir. And that's why he did it. He didn't do it because he needed to become greater. He did it because he wanted to share his kingly reign with you. He, as the son, has made you sons. He has made you heirs. You inherit what he inherits. He gets it all and he gives it to you. He wants to rule with you in his kingdom. He is your portion. He is your inheritance. And he has inherited all things. He doesn't just bring us into his kingdom, but he makes us kings. 
And so, he becomes our home. And that is what we were made for. That is the fulfillment of everything that we long for. And so, there's a lot that's been going on. For me personally, for you guys personally, for us as a society, we're tired. And we are easily distracted. We're easily, we easily become focused on things that are happening because they matter and they're important. But what happens is that we forget something that's more important. We forget that the strength that we have to keep going does not come by controlling. It doesn't come by us figuring out how to live a better life. It doesn't come through going back to what we can manage. But it comes through pressing into the sun and knowing and believing and trusting that Jesus is the only thing that can bring you home. He's the only thing that can give you rest. He's the only thing that will satisfy the longing of your soul. So keep going. Look at that. Let that inspire you. Let that give you strength. Let that lift you up. And know that all of this is temporary. Your inheritance in him is eternal. I've been saying this for a while now, but it's so true. Like, Jesus is the son. He's the eternal son. He's the word of God. And the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of God endures forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you that you not only care about us enough to do all of this, to cleanse us from our sin, to forgive us, to extend yourself as the price for our forgiveness, but Lord, that you actually care that we walk in it. You care that we know it that we are comforted by it. And so, God, I ask that for me, for us as your people, you would remind us that you would help us to carry on, to keep going together, that we would help each other remember this, that we would believe it, that we would press into it, and that we would anticipate that inheritance. Lord, the word of the prophets was pointing forward. The word of your Son said, it is finished. Lord, give us rest. Help us to walk in that rest that you have purchased for us. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.